Welcome to the Theology Mom Podcast, hosted by theologian Krista Bontrager. Each week, Krista provides practical teaching to help everyday Christians gain a deeper understanding of their faith. And now, here's Krista. Hello and Happy New Year, everyone. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you are watching me from around the world. Thank you for joining me for this week's teaching. I am Krista Bontrager. I am a theologian and public apologist, and this is the channel where I offer teaching teaching about the Bible, as well as commentary, theological commentary, on social issues. Today's teaching is definitely going to be more on the commentary side of things than biblical teaching, but I do have some great biblical teachings um, in the queue for the new year that I know you're going to enjoy. Uh, today, what I'm going to be doing is summarizing six things that I have changed my mind about since 2020. Now, in case you don't know what the word commentary means, uh, it means that these are opinions, which you're going to hear are my opinions. I'm not suggesting that these opinions should become your opinions or necessarily anybody else's opinions. I'm simply going to be sharing my experience, and um, this should definitely not be put in the category of core doctrines of the faith. These are just some things that I have been thinking about over the last two or three years, and a thought as we're going into the new year might be interesting to talk about them. I actually started writing this editorial about two years ago, and I've been sitting on it all this time because I wanted to let my emotions kind of cool all the way off before doing a public conversation. As I've said before, I am not your girl for hot takes. Um, I try to not go live when my emotions might get the best of me. And so sometimes it takes a couple of years for my emotions to calm down. But this past week, as the year was winding down, I revisited what I wrote a couple of years ago, and I was kind of surprised to see that, hmm, I pretty much still hold these positions. And so I went ahead and finished writing the commentary and thought this might be a good time to share it as we're moving into 2024. Toward the end of the, the stream, I will share more about what I see on the horizon for 2024 and that sort of a thing. Now, when I made a post recently about kind of some of the things I saw on the horizon for 2024, I noticed from some of the commenters that some of you are feeling kind of like me. Um, I think that many of us are still kind of trying to recover from the events of 2020 and the thought the oh my goodness it's already been we're moving into the fourth year it's hard to imagine um i think some people a good number of people are still feeling overwhelmed we're not knowing who to trust we feel like trusted institutions are no longer trusted it's been hard for me too um you know i don't share a lot in public about my own personal journey and struggles with things but this is definitely, the last few years have been hard on me too. Um, and so I wanted to share a little bit of my own struggles with the hope that it might bring you some comfort as well. Maybe some of you can relate to how I've been feeling. Maybe this will help you maybe feel a little less alone. 
maybe it will encourage you that um, you're not the only one who has been struggling. Now, I subtitled this teaching, My Box of Shattered Dreams. My children were sort of making fun of me about it this morning when they saw uh, what I was teaching on. And a lot of what I'm going to share today is about ways that I have lost faith in trusted institutions and the grieving that I have been going through. But I do hope to round it out with some wisdom from my mother, as well as what I see on the horizon for 2024. So let's get into this. Okay, the first way or the first thing I have changed my mind about since 2020 is, number one, I have come to believe that the government is far, far more wicked than I realized. I think I've always been sort of aware that the government probably had pockets of corruption here and there, corrupt people here and there. After all, humans are sinners. My theology tells me that. The Bible tells me that. But in general, I had a general optimism about things. I thought that our nation was an ever-improving manifestation of the noble vision of our founding fathers. I don't feel that way anymore. Now, that's not to say that I don't believe in the ideals of our country's founding documents. I do. In fact, the more I study scripture, the more I've come to appreciate even more deeply the ideals of our justice system and how um, closely hooked in they are to scripture. And I do hope to continue to develop that content as I have in the past related to justice in the coming months. Monique saw the world quite differently than I did. When we first started talking, I remember having conversations with her about how much she distrusted the government, like really distrusted the government. She she would recount childhood memories of from her perspective of how she felt like the government had even brought drugs intentionally into her community in South Central L.A., I thought she was completely wrong and misled and slightly overly paranoid. I smiled politely and nodded. But after living through 2020 and the subsequent years, after seeing more and more how law enforcement can be used to weaponize, uh, to, to be weaponized against people with particular ideologies of whatever's not in the majority at the time, or how the military is being reorganized according to the um, values of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and the alphabet community. Reading about programs like the MK Ultra program from the 1960s, where our government did unethical experiments on its own citizens. I came to realize that our government's wickedness is far deeper than I realized. And one turning point for me, again, this is my personal experience. This is my own personal grieving journey. <laughs> one key turning point for me was in September of 2021 when the president stood before all of us on national television, I guess to bring us a word of comfort but instead, he threatened the citizens to comply with receiving certain experimental genetic treatments, we'll call them, 
or lose their livelihoods, lose their licenses. That was the moment where it became so way over the line for me, far beyond what I believe the Bible allows the government to do. And situations like this just kind of, I don't know, maybe open my eyes to the wickedness that was possible that I never saw before and how good-meaning people who work in government and law enforcement can actually be weaponized against citizens. These kinds of situations made me much more sympathetic to the collective memory in the Black community of corrupt cops and a corrupt judicial system. Some systems of injustice, I learned, are real. And good people can be used as pawns to enforce this corruption. And sadly, I take no delight in saying this, but since 2020, my operational assumption has become if a government official is talking, they're probably lying. This is how jaded I've become. It's very sad. So that's my first way. All right, number two. The second way that I have changed my mind since 2020 is that my trust in the peer-reviewed process of the scientific community has been shattered. I worked with professional scientists for over two decades. I completely believed in the process of peer review. I thought that peer review provided a self-correcting process that would eventually bring truth to light. And in general, I kind of still believe that, but it requires enough dissenting voices for it to work. And I didn't have an appreciation for that four years ago. I looked at scientists as engaging in an enterprise to discover truth. Sure, there were always going to be a few outliers and a few exceptions, but in general, I had this, again, optimism in the process of scientific discovery. The science was generally reliable and corruption and falsified data were very rare. I looked to trusted voices in science for help on how to think about various issues. In fact, I wrote public presentations from that frame of reference for over two decades. But since the events of 2020 and 2021, I feel more than a little duped. The very nature of science involves asking questions. We need curiosity, investigation, and contrarian voices in order for that process of science to truly work. Entire careers in science are built on asking unconventional questions, looking at anomalous data more closely, and overturning previous paradigms through repeated data and experimentation and that sort of thing. But when we weren't allowed to even question, to ask questions about the safety of new medical practices, we'll call them, and we were expected to just line up and accept and embrace these experimental medical practices. 
I have to tell you, in all honesty, I fell in I fell into a state of deep confusion. At one point, I was told personally and directly by a major Christian leader that if I did not receive the new experimental medical treatment, I was not a quote-unquote biblical Christian. I was shocked and confused by this statement. I trusted this person. I looked up to this person as a mentor. Christian influencers use their platforms, including respected scientists, scientists who are Christians, who are Christians, all told us the same thing, to believe the science. And then they attempted to shame those of us who simply wanted more time or to ask questions or to gather more data because we saw these experimental treatments as maybe needing more testing. People like us were demonized as selfish, murderers. We hated old people. Many of our Christian leaders told us that our compliance to government insistence that we get these experimental treatments, it was our Christian duty to do these things. But now, over the last year and a half, two years, that cracks in that narrative have started to emerge and new data has started to make its way into the public discourse and contrarian voices have in many cases, not all, but in many cases have proved to be true and their, their initial thoughts were on the right, more on the right track than what our people in public policy were telling us. And thanks to the internet and independent reporters, we're starting to see that, that, that many of the things we were told were actually wrong. There is a growing body of data supporting what some of those brave voices were saying way back in 2020, 2021. These experimental treatments turned out to be neither safe nor effective. Okay, so what now? We need more transparency about injuries that were caused by these experimental treatments. We need more transparency about the role our own government may have played in financing this research that led to this global catastrophe. Christians of all people, ought to prize truth. The Christian worldview is the worldview that gave birth to the modern scientific endeavor. We of all people should be people who want to follow the science wherever it leads. But my question has become, where are the retractions where are the retractions for the shame, for the suppression of data? Dr. Francis Collins, who is almost universally hailed as an amazing example of a Christian who works in public science and policy, now retired from the National Institutes of Health, he played a vital role in, in creating a, a global push for us to take these experimental treatments telling faithful Christians, going on high-profile evangelical podcasts to obey the government and to do and obey all of the rules in the name of public health. I think that this is probably as close as we're going to get to an apology. Bob's going to play a little video here. 
with Dr. Francis Collins. As a guy living inside the Beltway, feeling the sense of crisis, trying to decide what to do in some situation room in the White House with people who had data that was incomplete, we weren't really thinking about what that would mean uh, to Wilk and his family uh, in Minnesota, a thousand miles away from where the virus was hitting so hard. We weren't really considering the consequences in communities that were not New York City or, or, or some other big city. The public health people, we talked about this earlier, and this is a really important point. If you're a public health person and you're trying to make a decision, you have this very narrow view of what the right decision is, and that is something that will save a life. Doesn't matter what else happens. So you attach infinite value uh, to stopping the disease and saving a life. You attach a zero value to whether this actually totally disrupts people's lives, ruins the economy, and has many kids kept out of school in a way that they never right, quite require for collateral for. damage. So there, yeah, collateral damage. This is a public health mindset. And I think a lot of us involved in trying to make those recommendations had that mindset. And that was really unfortunate. That's another mistake we made. Okay. I guess that's as close as we're going to get to an apology from the former president of the NIH, an evangelical Christian, a brother in Christ. That doesn't s totally sound like an apology or repentance to me, calling the destruction of lives and livelihoods and, and people's personal health as collateral damage is, in my very frank opinion, fairly anemic. Where's the accountability? Where is, Where are the legal investigations? Where is the repentance? And if there was ever a case to be made, and we're having a lot of conversations these days about reparations, Here's a, here's a case where I think reparations could be completely legitimate. I am left wondering, are there even enough ethical people left in science to publish the real research, to ask harder questions, to ask unconventional questions about the events and the impact of those decisions from 2020 and 2021? I hope so. I really do. But honestly, it feels like the system is rigged against regular people and that 2020 and 2021 was some kind of, if I'm going to put it very crudely, some kind of giant science experiment. And some of us were in the control group. Someone somewhere, please change my mind. Restore my faith in conventional science and the peer review process but for now, I honestly, I don't know what I believe anymore when I hear that something is coming out of the scientific sphere. Shame. It's very sad. Again, this is a, this is a stream about my own grieving, okay? Some of you are relating. I'm, I'm seeing in the comments. So keep, keep commenting. Keep giving me the feedback. I appreciate it. This brings me to the third way that I've changed my mind since 2020, and that is my trust in the medical establishment has also been shattered. Not just in the, the peer-reviewed scientific academic realm, but in the everyday medical realm. My, my medical professional in my life put strong pressure on me multiple times to get the experimental treatment in the name of prevention. 
Now, I have been seeing this same doctor for at least eight to 10 years. Had a long history together. We had three very hard discussions about the experimental treatment. And she put a lot of pressure on me to, to, get, to get it. This caused me a lot of anxiety because Monique and I were traveling all over the country during this season. And there were so many, so much reporting in the media about death. And I have always listened to my medical professionals. I have, I died, I almost died twice in my life. I have always been very trusting of medical professionals and their care and obeyed them and didn't exactly what they told me to do and take the exact medication they told me to take. But this time, I just wanted to ask some questions. I wanted to wait until there was more research. Well, my medical professional just kept repeating the mantra that the experimental gene treatment was safe and effective. When I did finally get the sickness in January of 2022, my medical professional wouldn't even help me until I had the virus for three weeks. I couldn't even get an appointment. It was actually a, a donor of the ministry who helped connect me to a doctor who worked outside of conventional medical systems, who probably saved my life and helped me get better. Personally, I've never been against conventional medicine. I've never been into alternative medicine and all of that stuff. I've, I've never done any of that. I even promoted getting vaccinated on my social media as a way of loving your neighbor. I was wrong. I was wrong to put vaccines under the umbrella of God's law, to bind people's consciences to something that God doesn't command. I was wrong, and I'm truly sorry. Please forgive me. The truth is, my very close friend has a life-altering injury from the experimental genetic treatments that were handed out and that we were guilted into in 2021. The events of 2020 and 2021 have shattered my trust with the medical establishment and with my own personal medical doctor, a relationship that I am weighing out. Do I try to rebuild this? Or do I start completely over? I do want to take a moment to encourage you to go check out the Center for Biblical Unity virtual book clubs. They will be starting in just a couple of weeks. And we're going to be doing four different books. But there's one in particular that I want to make sure that you know about. And it's called From Heartbroken to Hopeful. And it's a special book group designed especially for parents whose children have deconstructed away from the faith. We provide a special Facebook group just for you, and we want to get you in that group, and we want to help you meet some friends and get some people in your life who can pray, pray for you and encourage you and read through this book together. I think you're going to find it hugely encouraging. And so if you go to the centerforbiblicalunity.com backslash book clubs, you'll be able to see all of the book clubs that we're going to be offering and they're going to be starting two weeks from today. So go check out centerforbiblicalunity.com backslash book clubs. 
We're also going to be doing, um, in addition to Heart from Heartbroken to Hopeful, my daughter Emily will be leading a group on Abigail Favalli's book, The Genesis of Gender, which is a Christian gender theory. Uh, Dr. Favalli is a former progressive and feminist theory professor who has now come into a more historic understanding of the faith. She's an important emerging voice. It's a great book. Monique's going to be reading, uh, leading a group on justice. If you are somebody who works in law enforcement or as an attorney or even in any of the social sciences, you are not going to want to miss this group as they grapple with the biblical definition of justice in this um, rising influential book by Matthew Martins called Reforming Criminal Justice. Finally, we have for parents kind of a worldview book, uh, Katie Faust's book, Raising Conservative Kids in a Woke City, Give, giving parents some practical tips for um, helping to equip their kids to push back against the cultural crazy. Okay, so go check that out, centerforbiblicalunity.com backslash book clubs. All right, number four. This brings me to the fourth way that I've changed my mind since 2020. My trust in some big name and trust, big name, um, I'll say institutions, big name pastors has been shattered. I have been quite public in my descent into frustration and grieving over the downgrade of Christian higher education. Um, started that kind of journey and speaking out about that back in the fall of 2020. And I have witnessed the impact of the the demise of Christian higher ed on my own family, and I take no delight in the damage that it's done to thousands of Christian families who now have children deconstructing away from the faith because of the way that they were discipled at their local Christian college. And while there are certainly biblical faith, biblically faithful staff and faculty who remain at some of these colleges and institutions, the institutions themselves on a wide scale have been greatly compromised. I no longer promote Christian higher ed in public. Very sad state of affairs. Even though I am a three-time alumni, I no longer recommend my own alma mater, Biola University, to parents, unless you still think that Christianity today is a biblically faithful institution. If you think that, then sending your kid to Biola could be a good fit. It might be right in the, if they're all in the same stream, okay? But uh, if you think that Christianity today is, is more like a Sojourner's Magazine, which is kind of perspective that I've shifted to, uh, yeah, most Christian colleges are not going to be a good fit for you. Likewise, I've never been a big fangirl of big name pastors, but, you know, I did have a general deference to certain institutions as being broadly biblically faithful. But after watching so many Christian leaders with big platforms try to influence, pressure, I don't know how to gracefully say this, guilt, shame, 
Christians into complying with mandates, telling them it was the law of God to take experimental medical treatments. They flew support for Black Lives Matter rallies under the banner of Love for Neighbor. They held Christian lament sessions for whiteness under the banner of Love for Neighbor. I just, I lost respect. Now, we know how much. We know more information of to the degree at which these big EVA platforms were used by our own government as propaganda strings to get out their messaging. Bob's going to just show an article here from the Daily Wire. This was an, an editorial, how the federal government used evangelical leaders to spread COVID propaganda to churches. I encourage you to go to go read that. A, based on my experience, this is a, a good summary of my own frustration and grieving. And where I am now is that I no longer look to Big Eva voices, the machine, the well-financed ministries and news outlets. I no longer look to them as being a reliable source of information or sound biblical counsel anymore. I've unhooked from the Gospel Coalition, Christianity Today, people like David Platt, and other well-financed, slick-looking Christian voices. I'm over here in the bushes looking for independent voices who don't care about being liked by the culture, but instead are willing to die for biblical faithfulness. This brings me to the fifth way that I've changed my mind since 2020. I used to make fun of people who believed in large-scale collusion, what are sometimes called conspiracy theories. I don't make fun of these people anymore. I believe that large-scale collusion and wickedness is a real possibility now because we've seen it. Before 2020, I mocked people who believed in the flat earth or that we never landed on the moon. And then these are two things for the record I still don't believe in. I, I, I'm not a flat earther. I do believe we went to the moon. But I have developed a deeper level of compassion for people who do believe in ideas like this in light of how much we've all been gaslit the last four years. We, we were told that experimental genetic treatments were safe and effective. I mean, every channel on our television was running the ads. Here in Southern California, we had freeway signs that told us this. You know the things they tell you to buckle up for safety or don't drink and drive? Here in California, the freeway signs said the experimental genetic treatments were safe and effective. I'm in my early 50s. I have never seen anything like the propaganda that we received in 2020 and 2021. And the censorship 
if you just even wanted to ask a question, you were called names. And now we know the truth. These experimental genetic treatments can come with very high risks for some. And there seem to be a lot of people that have been injured and possibly even died. But we can't talk about it. We were told there was no way. Christian voices told us there was no way this virus could be man-made. Now it seems like, more than likely, it was man-made. We were told that our country had nothing to do with the research in that lab. Now it seems like some of those claims may have had a basis in fact. All of this leads to a very difficult conclusion. It, it seems like multiple people collaborated and had knowledge about these issues. That's the very definition of an actual conspiracy. Some of these people even collaborated to tell us elaborate lies about these things. Apparently, large-scale conspiracies are actually a thing. We have real-time examples now. In fact, it almost feels so common that when I hear something that doesn't quite make sense to me, my motto has become, just wait six months. This is probably true. That's a horrible feeling. It makes me feel like I don't know what to believe anymore. But yeah, the events of the last few years have made me more, a little more sympathetic to people who believe in more extreme conspiracy theories. Now, again, I don't believe in a flat earth. I don't believe that. But I have more sympathy for those that do. Conspiracy theories are real. In some cases. Now, the good thing is that usually the truth has a way of coming out eventually. In our case, the truth has been slow to come out. And many people were injured during the waiting. This brings me to the sixth way that I've changed my mind since 2020. I used to make fun of people who believed in one world governments. Again, I thought they were stupid conspiracy theories. But now I can kind of see how a version of a one world government is an actual real possibility. Now, I'm not going to go into a bunch of detail about this here other than to point out um, and encourage you that if you've never heard of the Great Reset or the World Economic Forum, it would be worth your time to look into it. Just go to Google, type in the Fourth Industrial Revolution, or type in Welcome to 2030, and read about the WEF's vision for humanity worldwide. The WEF is providing a vision for a global humanity, global citizenship, in cooperation with the United Nations and the development of community schools, the human rights campaign, and the development of ESG scores. We talked about that last June during Pride Month and a bunch of related other things. And Monique and I are in the process of developing some shows about these issues. So you'll want to watch for them in 2024. 
But reading about the efforts of the World Economic Forum has definitely changed my mind about the scenario of a one world situation. I think that there it's an actual agenda item for many leaders in the West and some leaders, some leaders more broadly around the world. Hey everyone, quick time out here, then we'll get right back to the program. But I wanted to take a minute to tell you about something really cool. It's called the Commuter Bible. Now, I know that many of you are gearing up to start your read through the Bible plan. Maybe you've done it in years past and you just want to have a refresher. The Commuter Bible is a wonderful way for you to listen to the entire Bible in a year. But it's delivered to you as short podcasts that you can listen to them as you commute. They're delivered to you Monday through Friday. It's pretty cool. They have three plans for you to choose from. There's a read through the New Testament plan, read through the Old Testament, or read through this entire Bible. So if you're reading through the New Testament, you gotta have a short commute, you know, maybe 15 minutes. You wanna read through the entire Bible, little bit longer commute. Maybe it's a 25 minute commute. Either way, all the plans are totally free. You can go check out their website, commuterbible.org. It's so cool. It's the whole Bible in a year as a podcast. It even has little introductory notes to set the context and music to help break up the monotony of the the speaking. It is free on your favorite podcast app. Go check it out, commuterbible.org. Okay, now we're into the wrap here. Now you may be wondering, why is Krista doing this? Why would I take up an entire podcast to share a commentary about how pessimistic I've become when it comes to so many of our historically trusted institutions? Well, I already shared one reason, and that is that I think Christians should prize truth. God is the source of truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I think that Christians should care about honesty, truth, and transparency. Um, That's one big reason why I'm doing it. And I have a couple of the thoughts I want to share. My mother has been known to say, a crisis reveals a leader's true character. I think 2020 felt like such an unsettling time, not simply because of the events that happened, but because of how we saw our leaders respond both our government leaders, our local leaders, and our Christian leaders. Yes, the pandemic, Black Lives Matter marches, cities burning, church splits, massive levels of deconstruction away from Christianity, those were all very hard events to endure. It was a confusing and disorienting season. But what truly makes these situations, I think, orders of magnitude worse is that when we see so many of our leaders that we trusted lie to us, shame us, and not provide the godly leadership that we needed in our local churches. When you find out that your government is lying to you, when you're, you feel like your doctors are shaming you into doing things that you just have questions about 
when you hear your pastor telling you to participate in struggle sessions in the name of whiteness or go out to a Black Lives Matter rally, things that you feel like, I'm not sure that this is supported in scripture. But when they're advancing compromised theology on ethnicity and justice, it's no wonder that so many of us felt disoriented and confused. Scripture has quite a lot to say about leaders. God has so much compassion for the sheep. But from God's perspective, he will bring strong judgment against leaders who don't protect the sheep in their care. I'm not going to have time to read all of the the scriptures about this, but I would commend to you Ezekiel 34. Um, Let me just read that one really quick here. Ezekiel 34. This is a prophecy that God gives Ezekiel against the leaders at the time when Israel is going into exile. He says, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not the shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains. On every high hill, my sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or to seek from them. You can continue to read in Ezekiel 34. Just the whole chapter is about corrupt shepherds and the impact it has on their sheep. And what I want you to see is the biblical pattern, both Old Testament and New Testament, is that God has so much compassion for the sheep, but he brings judgment against shepherds who don't protect the sheep. I'm going to go to um, Bob, the next passage, Matthew, or yeah, in the Matthew passage. Matthew chapter two says that Jesus came, it's describing uh, the Messiah when he would come in verses five and six. They told him in Bethlehem and or Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And so this is, this is the word to the Magi when they were coming to look for the Messiah. And you, O Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler, in other words, a king, who will shepherd my people Israel. Jesus is the ultimate shepherd king. He is the one who has come to care for his sheep. And yet Jesus also calls out the religious leaders in the gospel of Mark, he says that the the religious leaders are corrupt and that his people are like sheep without a shepherd. When we think about Jesus as the ultimate shepherd, our local church elders are the under shepherds. 
They are the ones who represent Jesus to us in this life. They bear a special responsibility to care for the souls and lives under their care. Now, I went into great detail about these issues last fall in the teaching series about the importance of elders in the local church. So I'll commend those extended conversations to you. I'm just summarizing a few points here. But what I want you to know is that the leaders in your church bear a special responsibility before the Lord to care for the sheep. And until 2020, like I said, I had a pretty generous trust in evangelical pastors. But the events of 2020 have exposed many of them for their weak theology on social issues, such as race and justice. If a pastor is quoting Gospel Coalition articles as his primary source for his theology and practice on social issues, that's become a big red flag for me. But here is the thought that I came away with after 2020. Whatever your leadership team did during 2020 and all of the social unrest and all of the events and the pressure of that, that's a template for what they will do when the next global catastrophe happens or the next political crisis. In addition to the qualifications outlined in scripture for local church leaders, for those under shepherds, the events of 2020 caused me to look a little closer at the leaders, to look for men of strength and conviction, as well as biblical fidelity, not necessarily the ones who can preach the most compelling sermons or tell the best stories, but the man of strength and conviction, the one who won't just hand over the church roster to the government, during the next crisis. Which brings me to one final thought. I've had several people at recent events ask me what I see on the horizon in the church and in the culture as we move into 2024. Well, here's the short version of that, a few points. We're going into another presidential election year. It's not going to be fun. Given the events of 2020 and that many states still haven't passed better election regulations, regulations in order to ensure greater integrity in the results, I'm fully expecting things to get very crazy. This could include more riots, possibly threats of another health crisis. These are not secure predictions. I'm not a prophet. They're just hunches. I think we will continue to see a deepening division between Big Eva and historic Christianity. The Christianity Today, Orange Curriculum, If Gathering, Andy Stanley, Progressive Christian Adjacent Stream will continue to migrate away from historic Christianity. And those of us who are trying to remain faithful to the faith will continue to be called names, just like we were in 2020. We will continue to be called things like conspiracy theorists and divisive and white evangelicals in a very pejorative way and a hundred other names. And this will result in a continued divide between two streams 
about the appropriate way for Christians to engage in the public square. I'm also expecting a continued normalization of radical socialist policies in the culture, especially in the realm of public education. I'm working on getting my friend Kelly Ski back on the show to discuss what's called community schools, if you want to look that up, and how socialists are re-engineering the entire purpose of the school in order to turn it into a one-stop social service center. Um, DEI is not our biggest problem in the in the public schools. Uh, it's the, the rise of these community schools, and very few people, it's not on most people's radar, but the radical socialist agenda is where it is. these schools are going. Basically, my prediction is 2024 is going to get even crazier than 2020, and I hope I'm completely wrong about it. Time will tell. But no matter how it all plays out, God's in control, my friends. He's going to help us steady the boat. God willing, Monique and I will continue to be here bringing you the topics related to cultural issues through the lens of the historic Christian faith. We will continue to lead the discussion on the critical social theories and how Christians can be equipped to respond. We'll continue to inform you about trends and we would ask you and invite you to prayerfully join us, link arms with us financially, help us keep that momentum going into 2024. And we really appreciate your support. I hope you found this stream helpful and not too depressing. Hopefully it will give you some some words to express maybe some of the things that you've been feeling too. Thank you for listening to my little grieving uh, that I've been going through the last few years. And I am anxious to see what the Lord will bring in 2024. And I know that at the end of the day, God's in control. He's still on the throne. The church has been through far, far more than what we are enduring here in America right now. I think that many of us, what, what we what we are enduring is um, widespread grieving. And it helps when you're grieving if you know you're not alone. And so I hope that this has helped you on some level. And I do hope that you will make sure that you are following the ministry. Make sure you're subscribed to our newsletters. Do not rely on social media as a way to connect with us because it is not reliable. The shadow banning is to the point that only about 2 to 5% of our followers actually see our content. So make sure you're subscribed to our newsletters so that when things get crazy, we can still be connected and communicating. Thank you so much for watching. Happy New Year, everyone. God bless. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to subscribe to the Theology Mom podcast and add your review. You can also follow Krista at Theology Mom on Facebook and YouTube. Join Krista for more theology adventures on the All The Things Show, co-hosted with Monique Dusan. Thanks for listening.